Welcome to the Lancet Respiratory Medicine Podcast. I'm Aaron Van Dorn, speaking to you from the Lancet's New York office. Most people know sepsis as a very serious whole-body reaction to an infection, but what is the clinical definition of sepsis? I spoke with Dr. Jean-Louis Vincent, a professor of intensive care at the University of Brussels, about why the clinical definition of sepsis is changing and what it means for patients and clinicians. Dr. Vincent, you've written a Viewpoint article about how the new sepsis definitions, which will be published in JAMA on February 22nd, could you explain how sepsis has been defined previously and what the effects this has had on clinical treatment of the condition? The word sepsis has been known for many centuries and comes from the Greek sepsane, that means putrefaction. So the word was already used by the ancient Greeks like Hippocrates. We had a problem in our definitions because in 1991, there was a North American consensus conference that really wanted to change our concepts about sepsis. And they indicated that sepsis would be an infection plus what they call the signs of uh, a systemic inflammatory response syndrome, SIRS. And to get SIRS, you need to have two or four variables being abnormal, the four variables being temperature, respiratory rate, heart rate, and altered white blood cell count. The problem was that with such a, a definition of sepsis, most people with an infection do have sepsis because you recognize the infection by the temperature and the associated tachycardia and by the altered white blood cell count. So that resulted in a lot of confusion, people using the two words without any distinction between them and virtually all infected patients became septic with the numbers increasing. Everybody was surprised to see the number of sepsis cases increasing and at the same time the mortality rate decreasing substantially. But that's just because people added milder cases and many cases of uncomplicated infections were actually counted as sepsis. But in the common language, what we call sepsis is, is a bad infection. And if we think at the last septic patient we treated, this patient had probably some form of uh, hypotension or oliguria or altered mental status. That's what we call sepsis in real life. So now with what we call the new definitions, we are just returning to the common language. So to me, these are not new definitions. These are just a reasonable return to the common use of the word sepsis in medical cycles. It's not a revolution. It is just a return to normality in a way. <laughs> Beyond the return to normality, what are the aims of these new sepsis definitions? Of course, definitions are important, not only for epidemiological studies, but in everyday life to identify the cases early because we know that early identification is fundamental from there early action to give the antibiotics and to, to stabilize the cardiovascular status and prevent organ dysfunction. So it is of paramount importance to identify it early and treat it early. An important aspect of uh, our um, new definitions, if you want to call it that way, is that we emphasize that the identification does not always follow the path infection, aha, is there organ dysfunction? 
And if yes, we will call it sepsis. But there is another path, which is organ dysfunction identified first. And then you should wonder, aha, isn't it sepsis? And therefore, to support the diagnosis, you need to look for an infection. In other words, patients may have hypotension, which is not well explained, it may be sepsis, or an altered mental status, which is not well explained, it may be sepsis, or some form of respiratory distress with dyspnea, hypoxemia, which is not explained, it may be sepsis. So we should also start from the presentation of organ dysfunction to identify sepsis. It's not necessarily in all cases that infection is well recognized. Sometimes infection is a bit harder to recognize. Think of the patient with a low platelet count on the regular floor. People may call a hematologist reviewing the various medications because the platelet count is down. But this may very well be a sign of a bad infection, a sign of sepsis. So how do the new definitions differ from the previous definition of sepsis? It is very different because the 1991 definitions were wrong. Uh, sepsis was equal to infection because, as I said, fever and tachycardia and altered white blood cell count would suffice to call it sepsis, which doesn't make sense because in real life, what we call sepsis is really something bad. When we say the patient is septic, it means that the patient is indeed very ill. You wouldn't call the office because you have some fever and tachycardia uh, due to a flu or a minor viral infection, you would not call by saying, I have a sepsis. <laughs> People would say you need to come to the hospital right away and with an ambulance because that's bad to have sepsis. So these definitions really were too far away from the reality. And now we are back to a common language, but identifying that sometimes sepsis is identified through the presence of otherwise unexplained organ dysfunction. And there are potentially six organs to consider, which is the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system, the renal system, the neurological system, the hematological system, and the liver system. So these are the six questions that people should raise. And that's what we tell the younger doctors and the nurses, because the nurses can play a very important role in identifying sepsis on the regular floor, uh, as well as in the emergency department. And so, again, this is very important to identify it early. What do you anticipate will be the clinical impact of these new definitions? Well, the clinical impact will be an, an improved management of these patients because by raising the attention about organ dysfunction and keeping these six organs in mind can really help to better identify these patients because identifying through fever and tachycardia was not very good. The studies have shown that this is not a very good screening tool either because if you go on the regular floor of the hospitals, you will find that 50% of the patients meet this older service criteria during their hospital stay. You know, many patients have some fever and associated tachycardia on the regular floor. It doesn't mean that they have sepsis. So this was really not very good by any means. People even say that perhaps the patient's relatives may help to identify sepsis because when they see their loved one, who now develop a little bit of confusion, they should know that this is potentially sepsis. 
when they realize that there is more respiratory distress with some tachypnea, uh, they may actually help to identify the sepsis. So it's quite interesting now that we are entering really a patient-centered care that the relatives may perhaps also help to identify it. And I already mentioned the important role of the nurses on the regular floors. So it's, a, it's an effort of virtually everybody to identify it early. Are there any limitations to the new definitions? Not really. I don't think so. What could be the limitations? It's really the common language that we reinstall in a way, and I don't think that the experts should impose any new definitions. I think we should find ways to just identify a common language that we can use to improve communication, and that's basically what we are doing. It's also important to realize that sepsis is not only a pro-inflammatory disease, it's a very complex host response, and we have learned a lot about the pathophysiology of sepsis, and that is why we speak now about a dysregulated host response. It's not just pro-inflammatory, and you know we have tried so many therapeutic interventions aiming at reducing the inflammatory response with very poor results, with no improvement in survival rates. So we need to realize that actually many of these patients, despite what we may see, they actually could be immunosuppressed. And there are now some very interesting studies, and one will, will come in the, in the Lancet respiratory disease soon, showing that gene expression actually in many of these patients show an immunosuppressed state. So that's very interesting. So there is perhaps also a possibility to intervene with new therapeutic interventions to stimulate the immune system. Well, Dr. Vincent, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. It's a pleasure.